welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Jackson. Arts Access Florida is a comprehensive initiative designed to shine a spotlight on your neighborhood's diverse arts organizations. Each episode will highlight their programs and more importantly, amplify the voices of the people they impact. Conversations, community, and connections. That is the value in engaging with your local arts organizations. Arts access equals arts access. Support for Arts Access Florida comes from the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. Championing philanthropy, encouraging and connecting givers to bring lasting good, investing in education and economic mobility. Learn more at cftampabay.org. Today on the Arts Access Podcast, we'll be talking to three local groups that are working hard to help give a voice to the sometimes overlooked and underserved members of our community. First up is our conversation with Fran Powers from Power Stories Theater in Tampa. Through theater and performance, Power Stories focuses on the telling of true stories of women and girls to help connect and motivate others. Cornelio Coqui Aguilera and Linda Edmundo from the Outcast Theater Collective also stopped by to talk about how theater can bring voice to the oppressed through interactive performances that educate and inspire. Finally, I'll be speaking with Angela Mott of Matriarch, whose mentoring work with young Black women and girls of color helps promote confidence and helps them create connections with organizations within their community. Hey, Fran, it's great to have you on the Arts Access Florida podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. So just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. I'm Fran Powers. I'm the founder of Power Stories Theater, and I've been doing this for about 20 years. I always had the vision of starting a theater ever since I was 10 years old. Kind of had that dream of doing that, but really didn't get started doing it until my 40s. Uh, a lot of people have heard my story of riding my bike across the United States in my early 40s. And as I crossed the Wyoming border, I kind of had this vision that I needed to start the theater. What, what was I waiting for? So when I got back to Tampa, I started Power Stories Theater. And um, that's what I'm doing today. And I'm loving every minute of it. Yes. And now fast forward to present day, you made that dream a reality. Well, the dream doesn't come a reality without you know, a lot of other people helping you with having, without having a clear vision. I sat on my sofa when I got back from my bike ride and I wrote all of my goals and my plans and things like that um, for almost a year. And I still had, hadn't done much. And so I said, for heaven's sakes, get off your butt and start doing something. So I finally, after about a year, the bike ride started the actual theater. So it takes a lot of action, a lot of hard work and a lot of people to help you. What type of stories are you telling to your audience? We typically, almost exclusively, tell true stories. The mission of the theater is staging true stories to open minds and hearts. I was very enamored in my early years with young girls and women who oftentimes said, I don't have a story to tell. What's so special about my life? And I, that really stuck with me. And so um, I've always wanted to help women tell their stories. And so they're, they're true stories of a wide variety. We do a lot of published works now on our main stage, um, but over the years, we've helped individuals tell their true stories for their own purposes, whatever that might be. Walk us through 
how a production is developed. So let's say you have a, a story. You've decided what story you want to bring to life. What do you do next once you have the idea? Well, the, the first thing we do is if it's going to be a story on our main stage, we have an artistic committee and the artistic committee, they're out looking for the right true stories to tell on our stage. And there's a lot that goes into what's going to be the right true story because we have to take into account the number of actors that can fit on our stage. Can we get the right talent? You know, is the set going to be something that we can build on our stage? Because our, our theater here on Kennedy is pretty intimate. We have 45 to 50 seats, depending on the show. So when we're looking for the story, in addition to all those things, it has to be a story that will inspire people, will educate people, and have some kind of a, res a resolved meaning at the end mm -hmm. so that the audience can walk out of the theater with having learned something or having a conversation starting at the local bar next to us, you know, so that, so that uh, the story continues on. Can you give us an example of a, of a particular story or production that you remember left a really big impact on your audience? Is there any particular one? One that we did last year was called These Shining Lives. And it was a true story of the Radium Girls. You have probably heard that story. It is the story of women who were hired to work in factories. And they used to paint with, with paint uh, the dials of clocks, but the paint was radioactive and it killed them. So at the beginning of the story, you know the women telling the story are going to die. And the audience knows that right away that they are not going to live. And they tell the story of these women who are very brave. And then they took this all the way to the Supreme Court. And because of those women, we have a lot of great um, working environments, safety in our working environments. So it's a true story that really resonated with people. People walked out thinking, I didn't know that. How do you ensure that stories that were based you know, or as early on as the 1900s impact the younger audiences today who, who don't know of these experiences in this history? Well, I, I can't say that I know for sure that they're impacting them. I, I, um, I hear them as they're in the theater talking to their moms, talking to us about, I didn't know that that happened back then. I didn't know that you could work someplace and a boss would, would not have integrity or a boss would treat you like that. So it gives the parents a great opportunity to talk to their young people and say, you need to be careful when you, when you take jobs, you need to listen to your own heart, believe in what's right for yourself. So, um, so all, all those kinds of elements take place. Yes, and what I love about that is you're still finding you're still finding a way to connect to different generations. Absolutely. I've read that you were invited to the White House. Is that true? It was true. Tell us more about that. We um, we were invited to the White House for the work that we're doing with our young girls. They they look for organizations across the country, about 10 to 15 a year, that are doing really in-depth work with young girls. And we had, we had let them know about our program. And for a couple of years, we kept writing them and letting them know about our program. And finally, the year came when they recognized us. And I remember very clearly a big envelope comes to the house and my husband calls me. I was at an orientation meeting with young girls. And he said, there's an envelope that came from the White House. And I said, oh, well, open it. I want to hear what it, what it says. And then I said, no, don't open it. I want, I want to read it myself. Finally, I said, open it. And it says, you've been invited to the White House in honor of the work that you're doing with young girls. So it was, it was a great moment. And then the letter said, you cannot tell anybody. <laughs> you have to keep it a secret for six months. 
So I immediately went and told a few people, but <laughs> not too many people, just the yeah. staff. You have to share at least with some. This is the White House. <laughs> exactly. And who did you get to meet at the White House? Um, we met with uh, the First Lady, Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. And uh, also attending the ceremonies were a lot of dignitaries. There were some celebrities there and things like that. But most importantly, there were young kids there. Every organization got to bring one young person with them to the White House. So of all the girls that we had to select, we, um, we ended up selecting one young girl to go with us. Who was that young girl? Her name was Natalie. Uh, and she had to do a presentation in front of the, um, the staff. We did not tell them that the prize would be a trip to the White House. We asked the young girls to do a presentation in case they were going to be talking about power stories to maybe the mayor or someone like that. And Natalie, along with three or four other girls, made this presentation, and she's the one who was selected. And when you got the chance to meet the First Lady, what did she say about power stories? She said in her opening remarks, um, she made a presentation to everyone who was there. She actually mentioned power stories as being an organization that helps young girls know their, their truth and their, uh, their self-worth by true storytelling. And she was kind of talking about that uh, to, the, to the audience. She talked about all of the organizations, so we only we got a sentence or two in there. But when I met her, uh, she gave Natalie a big hug, and she you know she whispered in my ear, "You're doing a great job." And um, she talked a lot about how the arts organizations and and teachers are often doing such great work with young kids, and they oftentimes don't get the recognition, which is one of the reasons why she wanted to have this award. And did you ever think way back when, when you were on that bike? And the idea popped into your head that you would eventually be at the White House. <laughs> no, no. And that's why I tell the young girls, dream big. You yeah. know, don't don't forget about your dreams. Keep 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 them in your forefront. You know, when you dream big, big, be specific. Think about what you want. Mm -hmm. I never thought about I'd be in front of the White House. You know, <laughs> but when you're, I really do believe that when you're on the right track. And you're, and you're working with passion with what you're doing, that good things will happen. Yes. It may not happen when you want, mm -hmm. like this last year with the pandemic, mm -hmm. but good things will happen. Just stick with it. Yes, absolutely. So you also have the, the Voices of Truth Festival. Can you tell us more about this festival and how we can all access it? The Voices of Truth Theater Festival is being produced by Power Stories, and we are working with another theater company, Outcast Theater Collective. Between the two theaters, we're really bringing a lot of diversity uh, to our audience. So an individual can go to our website, powerstories.com, and right there in the middle is the Voices of Truth Theater Festival. They can click on that, and they can see 14 nights, and there's 16 shows during those 14 nights. They can read about the play, they can read about the playwright, and they can click on and buy a $10 ticket. They can also buy a festival pass if they want to for $99. And then the, the day before the show, you will get in your email a message from us that gives you the link to the show and the password. And so then 7.30 at night show rolls around and you click on and you can watch the playbill virtually and then the show starts at eight. And then what's really exciting, which makes us very live, is every single playwright's gonna come on after the show's over. So we'll invite you to a Zoom room 
and everybody watching the show can meet the playwright and meet the actors and we can have a conversation. So you're still able to give that opportunity for your audience to interact. That's the piece that makes it really live and, and, and in the now for us. What type of feedback have you received with this new virtual way of interacting? You know, a lot of us theater goers kind of had the same attitude that I did, kind of kicking and screaming a little bit like, no, 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 this isn't live theater. But then we relaxed and we saw the beauty of it. You know, you can watch a show on Zoom and you get to see the actor's face. You get to see their emotions. You get to, it's everything is up close and personal. So there's a lot of benefits to it. And the directors and the actors, they're, they're loving it because it's another avenue for them too. They're, they're also learning a new skill. Can you tell us what you see is your role in giving a voice to the marginalized community in the Tampa Bay area? Well, I think we are, our, our vision is that we will be known for the theater that really works on, that, that works on telling those true stories. So we have uh, our, our biggest outreach program is the Girl Stories Leadership Theater. And that is the program that we went to the White House for. And we always need a lot of assistance in this program. This is a program where we have middle school girls come into our theater, typically. Uh, last year, we did it virtually. We have about 20 to 25 middle school girls come into our theater. And for two to three weeks, they learn everything from scoop to nuts on theater. It's called a, a it's called theater and leadership. So they are learning all the theater things, but everything is laced with leadership, what we can teach them how to speak out loudly and proudly and how to believe in themselves. And it always ends up with the, with the performance. And then we work with these girls the rest of the year, uh, continuing with theater and leadership. And that's one of our largest outreach programs. In addition to that, just the season of shows that we do, we are always looking for people to to help us put on a quality show. You know, so we're looking for directors and actors and people that want to work in the lobby and people that want to be on our board of directors or people who want to read plays for us and bring a great play. You know, we're, we're going to be doing more festivals going forward. So if there's anybody out there who has written a play, a true story play, we want to know about it because we'll be looking for them. They can submit it to me, Fran, at PowerStories.com. And there is on our website, the very front uh, main page, something that says submit your stories. So they can click on that and they can submit their story there. Uh, or they can just send it to me, Fran, at PowerStories.com. And Fran, I had one more question for you. Um, how do you feel Power Stories will help prepare young women, especially for the future? we have to help these young girls celebrate themselves. We have to help them celebrate themselves, honor themselves. And one of the ways that we do that is helping them know who they are. And when we work with them, we help them tell their own personal story. We do something called a matriarchal chant on all of our shows, which is honoring your maternal line, your paternal line. So. We help these young girls understand who they are and be very proud about sharing it with other people. And I think that goes a long way in helping them feel good about themselves and able to speak out loud and proudly. That's a wonderful, absolutely wonderful mission. And Fran, we thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome.
The Voices of Truth Festival has passed, but not to worry, you can check out how to access those and other performances on their website. You can find the links and contact information for Fran in our show notes. Hi, Linda and Koki. Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. Let's jump into the first question. And Koki, I'll start with you. Introduce us to the Outcast Theater Collective. Sure, thanks for the question. So my name is Cornelio Aguilera, uh, but uh, everybody calls me Koki. And I work with the Outcast Theater Collective. Um, we are a nonprofit organization based in the, the Tampa area, and we work to enhance uh, theatrical diversity within this area but through the facilitation and professional development of artists from marginalized communities. Um, we use a particular type of theater called Theater of the Oppressed, created uh, by a theatrical practitioner called uh, Augusto Boal. Um, and basically, it's um, many exercises, games, and forms of theater that work to um, bring the theater back to the people. And when I say the people, I basically um, mean everybody, not just uh, those with the means to uh, be able to afford the experience or to be able to purchase a ticket, uh, but the people. Um, so uh, we've been excited about utilizing this form of theater in order to enhance diversity, not only through the theatrical uh, community in the Tampa area, but also to use it to um, break into other spaces. Uh, we've been doing that pretty successfully even throughout the pandemic year. We also reach out to the communities and um, we, the another big difference is we find out what the interests of the communities are and we tell their stories so they can bring their stories to us and then we, they're seeing themselves portrayed or realistic um, situations that they may face. And Linda, I love how you said the focus is telling real stories and that is a conversation starter. It, exactly. It's, it's phenomenal because what we've done is we've, we've connected um, with the University of Wisconsin um, the YWCA Metro Phoenix and, and Planned Parenthood and um, or different communities can reach out to us and say, hey, we have this issue. This is what's happening and this is important to us. Can you kind of come up with, they'll give us their, their scenario, the situation, and we come up with the story and we kind, and the way we do it is fascinating because we kind of just, brainstorm. So it's not about writing a script, but we're actually um, improving it and we come up with the scene as a collective. Right. So along with the different um, uh, organizations that uh, Linda has just mentioned, we're also working uh, with the School of Education uh, at USF. And, and actually, in the next couple of hours, uh, we're going to be presenting phase three of what we're calling an, uh, an event to talk about race and racism in the College of Education. Uh, mm. uh, Linda was uh, very um, influential and um, was able to help us uh, create an original scenario uh, for the first phase where we were talking about um, the, the struggles that some of the doctoral students have in trying to just complete uh, their doctorate right within the program. And then the second phase uh, was about um, uh, uh, creating uh, that, that conversation with faculty about that scenario and seeing whether or not 
they had any ideas as to uh, how we could go about it differently so that it's not as burdensome for these uh, doctoral students, many of them who are from marginal representing marginalized communities. Actually, uh, Linda was able to um, play the role of one of those students who was able to share their um, testimony, their, their story about what had occurred so that we could express it to this uh, educational community. Uh, and then today's phase is going to be looking at, okay, what are the what are the oppressions? What are these institutional oppressions that we're dealing with? And how can we go about challenging them? What are some some realistic, practical uh, plans of actions that be that can be constructed? Uh, and it's all done within a forum based, you know, collective conversation. So we're we're mixing the uh, the theater along with uh, what might be traditionally experienced within those circles as a forum conversation um, to, to come up with a better outcomes, better solutions for everybody that's involved. And this is the spectacular part. Imagine this is interactive. So it's not just hearing us, then the spectators, the audience becomes the spect actor. And then you have the opportunity to offer your, po your possible solution. Well, have you ever kind of talked to the TV or some, why couldn't she just do this? Or, you know, well, here's your opportunity. You raise your hand. Well, I would have liked to have seen this. And then, then we say, wonderful, why don't you give it a try? And then you can come in and enjoy and join us and show us from your perspective. Wow, what is the importance of confronting oppression in the moment that it happens? Yeah, sometimes it's so subtle, right? And it's, 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 it's the initial shock of, of the experience that kind of kind of keeps you in, in some folks still. Uh, and it's almost like you have to question it in your mind whether or not that really re really occurred. And then you have to sort of um, kind of ahead of time in your own head think, well, if I were to respond to it, what are the uh, repercussions of that sort of an, an action? How is that, you know, what will that do to this circle or that I'm, uh, you know, included in, right? So there's a ton going on. There's a lot going on in your head. Um, and so then that's, that sometimes is what makes it so hesitant for folks to really act or to really, uh, you know, speak truth to power uh, or challenge any of these oppressions. And so then what we, what we say is that the one of the reasons we enjoy this work so much is that we can recreate that particular scenario based on uh, whatever has been contributed by the audience that we're working with. Right, they can create that uh, particular uh, oppression, recreate it, and then use it as a rehearsal for reality. Uh, but at, at, and so then, um, multiple folks are able to um, come in and intervene as they see fit. How what it is, they can bring forth whatever plan they think uh, they can utilize in order to uh, come out with a, a different ending. Uh, but at the same time, for other folks that may be not familiar with that experience, they're actually able to um, feel what it's like to step in the shoes of that particular protagonist, of that individual that's been oppressed. That's, I'm, I'm taking all of this in, there's a lot to digest, but it's such good information. And it's so necessary with where our society is right now. And this is what we all need. And again, we can't take all the credit. What we're doing is basically just sort of um, 
uh, not educating, but we're um, showing off, I guess, what this particular type of uh, theatrical form entails. As was mentioned earlier, it was created by the late and great uh, Augusto Boal. It seemed like the perfect tool to do the type of work that we had expressed, right? Uh, getting more work in the hands of artists from marginalized communities, using the exercises and the games that are part of this arsenal in order to uh, equip our actors with the tools necessary in order to successfully compete within the theatrical market of this area, uh, but also getting their stories on that stage, right? Making sure that they become uh, the main characters and the prot protagonists. As you were talking, Koki, I'm also thinking, you know, prior to COVID, we were meeting in person, but it seems that this using Zoom, we have been able to reach people in India and just draw an audience from all over. Whereas I, I don't know how possible that would have been had we remained in person. Yeah. And the performances get recorded. And that's one of the reasons I think we were able to solidify some work. And this is contractual work, right? And a lot of theaters are not able to say that they're going to be contracted to do work out in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, but uh, like Linda was saying, the fact that the medium has gone virtual, uh, somebody was able to catch the performance uh, that we did back in May of last year and say, you know what? we could definitely use some of this for our organization because we're having some issues with this, this topic or this subject. And before you know it, uh, we're in that virtual um, space with their members and doing the work that we've been, that we evolved for this format. Sounds as though the Outcast Theater really thrived going virtual with their, with their audiences. Yes, we, we really have because we have been able to reach more people and I really like the, the way that we're able to even um, just to tell the stories, other people's stories. So you get actually get to see what you're going through presented on the screen. Um, and then too, we have also written some of our stories and have shared that as well. So it's been an excellent opportunity. I know, um, Jules Moore, she wrote a conversation with myself and that was just a fantastic piece of, about um, mental illness and um, coming out and, and just so many things. Linda, could you tell me a bit more about the Voices of Truth Festival? We talked a lot about you know, um, telling impactful stories and the Voices of Truth Festival does exactly that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so the, the theme is, it's so important to hear real stories. So that's where we get the voices of truth. So we're hearing and we're writing about and talking about actual events that have happened in people's lives. And like these are not made up things and, and, and sharing um, with the audience. It's actually kind of, for me, it, it was very intimate because you have to actually um, let down your guard and you're sharing your innermost thoughts with, with the world. And it's, but it was liberating at the same time because it was like, whew, I could just be myself and be accepted. And that we're able to um, be an outcast and do the work that we're doing and be contracted to do it even in the time of, of a pandemic it's just, it warms my heart. And with the Voices of Truth Festival in conjunction with Power Stories Theater, an outcast was actually at, was invited 
to be a, a huge part of it, to collaborate with us. And we created all these original pieces that we were able to like put wrap together or put into a box and wrap up with a nice tiny bow and share with the rest of the community that, yeah, we even though the theaters were down, uh, it doesn't mean that the theater stopped. We were still producing and creating original pieces that were, star that were starring uh, artists from our marginalized communities. Wow, I love this collaboration with Power Stories. It's such a, a powerful movement. have a full list of resources for the Outcast Theater Collective listed in our show notes. They have numerous upcoming productions that you will definitely want to check out. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Angela, you are doing some incredible work in the community, uh, lifting up our young Black girls. Can you tell us more about what you're doing? So I'm the founder of an organization called Matriarch. Uh, Matriarch is essentially a platform to equip Black women to become advocates and practitioners for community public policy and service. And so we form partnerships with other companies and education institutions that value diversity and female-led social justice intervention. And then once we equip you and provide you with some training, we try to place you in that partner organization or help you come in as a consultant within that organization. We're just taking two marginalized identities, black and female, amplifying them as um, valuable leadership essentials, kind of changing the narrative around how ethnic identity serves um, public policy and community service through gendered racism. I came up with the concept of matriarch because I love elephants and I was watching a documentary on an elephant and how it was basically centered on the matriarch and how she leads her herd to these spaces and how these spaces are thriving spaces um, where, where they can be well, replenish themselves and then mentor other leaders along the way. And one of the things that stood out with me is um, the focus on the mentoring the little ones. And so that's where her impact comes in. Um, so her impact is a nonprofit entity of matriarch and it's focused on girls intentionally on black girls, not exclusively, but intentionally and engaging them in community and civic engagement through all sorts of things like uh, we do mentoring outreach services, we get them involved in civic engagement building. So we're basically building a leadership pipeline with our youth so that they can later on become matriarchs down the line. They're the next generation of matriarchs. And so we, um, we work with girls individually, um, but our board is also an awesome group of women that leads programs for girls that focus, programs that focus on black girls. And so we have a bunch of healthy allies that we work with um, that will provide resources, whether it's material resources through our scholarship program, emotional resources, especially during this time, and practical things like care packages for the girls, um, essential, like hygiene essentials for girls that we work with, either um, serving as a resource for the other smaller programs or working directly 
to individual and with individually with with girls individually. So um, that's some of the things um, broad scope that we do through her impact in the community. Wonderful. Well, Angela, um, the arts has always been a way for African-Americans to express the troubles they face, as well as the joy of being Black in America. How have you utilized the arts as a form of communication in your organization? So, like, we know about the Toni Morrison's, the Zora Neale Hurston's, um, these awesome uh, iconic writers, and now we have Amanda Gorman from the inauguration. Mm -hmm the Josephine Bakers and the Beyonce's, I just feel like art is just this phenomena. Like for us to be able to articulate exactly how we feel through a dance move or through like a, a book or a documentary or film, is just, I, it's, it's so abstract. I just, I love it. So, <laughs> um, so some of the girls you've gotten involved with uh, spoken word and poetry and that's been a huge outlet for them because again, it's, it's allowing them to use their voice over their own life. We've had a couple of writing competitions in the past <laughs> that we've kind of made fun and um, dance competitions. We did a couple of vision board parties. Um, last year I had some of the girls write a short script and direct a commercial for their future business. So it was so fun to see them like script a commercial for their braiding hair salon or for their law firm or their presidential campaign. Like it was awesome to see them use that, that form of, of art. One of the things I really loved that was fun that we did, we've done it a couple years ago, we haven't done it recently, and this really works with our younger girls, is taking photos on their phones. We would go to an area downtown or to a park somewhere, and they would just take their phones out and snap some photos, and then we would come back and they would write um, about why they chose that picture, how they felt when they took the picture, what it means to them. Um, and you just be amazed at some of the stuff that they came up with. Like, oh, I just thought you took a picture of this plastic spoon because you're hungry. And they would talk about like the, the, the curvature of the spoon and how life curves this way for them sometimes and straight for them and they want to be on the straight path. It's just like really amazing <laughs> where they would take it. <laughs> and um, just to see them be able to communicate using that medium and feel safe. I hope to be able to do more of that in the, the coming months. That's amazing. And I love that you're, you're introducing them to the art of expression and how to get involved in the arts. And who knows, maybe this might um, spark interest in one of them to pursue the arts, which yeah. is just a great way to just be in touch with yourself and express your thoughts and ideas and totally mm -hmm. open up. So I love that concept. Yeah. You can feel safe. You can insulate yourself. I grew up playing the piano and the flute, and I grew up in a, a tumultuous home. So just being able to go to my piano lesson mm -hmm. and play for like hours Gosh, that was like heaven to me. Yeah. So it was your escape. Uh, yeah, I didn't have to think about anything mm -hmm. at all. And I was playing angry, mad, yeah. 
you know, vision, envisioning my future and how my family is going to get better, all while just practicing piano. So just giving them that that outlet, it does, it really does um, make a difference. And then it's also, like you said, a form of exposure. So we do expose them to these different writers and different artists and poets. They really love poetry and spoken word. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so, it can be so gritty and emotional and they kind of, they can connect to that. In our previous segments, we've spoken to people from Power Stories and the Outcast Theater. Both of those organizations have programs that help some of the marginalized communities in Tampa Bay to use and raise their voice. What are your thoughts on the importance of these types of programs? And also, have you noticed changes in students who have gone through some of these types of programs? These are important because they change the narrative. They change the story arc. If the origin of Black female identity in this country is negative and it's based on, you know, negative historicity and enslavement and caste, um, changing the narrative means you have to provide a platform uh, for these voices (laughs) to be heard outside of that echo chamber. Because that's kind of how we exist no matter how big you know we get or how far far we we are reaching or what position we attain in this country um i'll use like michelle obama as an example she still exists in this this echo chamber of 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 chattel slavery in america so even as a first woman so being able to use your voice as a person of this that this history has marked, but as an individual is huge to changing the narrative of how we see Black females and Black female leadership in this country. So I would say the more the merrier. And so having these local um, platforms for girls, I've seen a lot of girls specifically gain confidence and find their voice through spoken word because it gives them a chance to practice all those those skill sets, uh, public speaking um, and then poetry and writing and presentation skills. And so once the girls have gone through these clinics, um, some of the local clinics I've seen, they come out completely different. They have a new confidence about them and that imposter, imposter syndrome goes away after they've been in it for a while. The same with dance. I've seen girls thrive um, because again, the black female body has been politicized, um, exploited and exhibited you know, in other countries for over, over hundreds of years. And so to see these, these um, girls be in a dance troupe where they can own their body and they can strengthen their body through that art form I mean, those girls, I'll have to say the dance girls are just like, <laughs> they're so confident <laughs> because they own their own skin again and, and they own it in a way that they appreciate themselves so much more by going through these um, very rigorous sometimes dance programs where they come out so much more confident and, and confident in using their voice. So I do definitely see, see an impact on how the arts can provide that, that space for them. I love what Art Access is doing um, with increasing the brand awareness for the local Tampa Bay arts community. I think it's awesome. And 
um, just almost a phenomena to me to be able to articulate pure feeling through music, dance, and other mediums. So thank you all for your work that you're doing in the community. Angela, thank you so much for your time today. I am just over the moon impressed with what you do in the community, especially for our young black girls. And as a black woman, I thank you. This is a program I wish I was in when I was younger. So thank you for just doing what you do for the community. Well, I don't know about you, but I had no idea this type of work was being done in our own backyard. It's one thing to know what the organizations are doing to address challenges in our community, but it's another to actually hear from someone that these programs impacted firsthand. I truly hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I have. And as always, you can find all the information about today's guests in our show notes. I'm Brianna Jackson, and you have been listening to the Arts Access Florida podcast. This show is a product of WUSF Public Media with the help of our founding sponsor, the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. Our show is produced by Aaliyah Moffitt, Chandler Balcom, and Leslie Laney. A special thanks to our editor, Scott Walkler, and our entire engineering team. You can find out more information, performances, and other content that our local arts groups are creating by following us on Facebook or Instagram and visiting our website, artsaccessflorida.org. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L.org. Copyright 2021, WUSF Public Media.